Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well... HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Fiction. Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Cohen. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. In and our world. One hundred two point three FM Riverside and one hundred five AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery, and I'm Al Warren and Mr. David Rose Martino. <laughs> back to the Rose, huh? Yeah, you're back to the Rose because I can't. Back to the Rose. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of. I'm still mad, but you're mad. <laughs> but I don't get. I remember. I just. I get even. Just, yeah. <laughs> what did I do? Well, yeah, I get COVID, and you're making fun of me. I wasn't making fun. Yeah, of you were. I laugh all the time. Yeah, I know, but you're not supposed wasn't, to. You I'm see, not laughing at you. Yeah, oh, yeah. I'm laughing with you, Al. <laughs> Who's laughing? You know, Who's it's like laughing you, now? you tell someone, "Yeah, please don't start singing. You're not gonna. <laughs> don't quit the day job." Yeah, I know, right? You know, it's not gonna happen. You know, no. Well, you could be Brittany. I yeah yeah. Yeah, Why don't you join the new kids on the block? That'd be cool. Hey, I hear the monkeys has some openings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's terrible. <laughs> oh, is that too soon? I guess it is. It's a little too soon. Yeah. Oh, well. <laughs> uh, I'll be good. You know, I'll, I'll behave myself, mainly, <laughs> for the most part. Hey, you see those guys that were in that fishing contest and they got caught cheating? Oh, I Posted did. Them? Actually, I saw that. Yeah. They, they stuffed the fish full of weights <laughs> or something. <laughs> What people won't do, you know, first of all, you yeah. got the chess champion up against someone's like a anal beads vibrating <laughs> and and then to cheat, you know, getting signals from someone so he could cheat. And then you get the the fish ones. I mean, 
Just, you know, yeah. I don't want to be a champion unless I'm really a champion. Champion, right. Right. I, Is I there a lot of money in uh, the fish tournaments? There must be. I don't know. I passed it on to member uh, Weeks, Al, Mark Weeks. Oh, he was okay. on it. And remember, because he's a big fisher and he's into all that. And he said it goes on a lot. But I didn't ask him. But I don't think there's big money in it. Even the yeah. chess thing, you know, it's not like you're making tons of money. I mean, at the end, I guess you probably make pretty good check. But even yeah. then. Well, I read with the fish that they, you know, it was they were way over the weight. <laughs> that would be no- natural. So you'd think that yeah. if you're a, a fisher uh, men or whatever you want to call fisher person today, yeah, yeah. that you, you um, that you would know what a fish weighed. <laughs> well, you would think you'd be be a little bit more careful, I would think. But I mean, hey, who am I? You know, hmm. I'm the guy that goes out fishing with people, and I'm reading my Star magazine while they're fishing. <laughs> exactly. In the boat, you know, I want to see what <laughs> gossip's going on. Weekly World News. Yeah, that's it. Because I'm in there all the time. <laughs> Space alien baby, bat head. With the bat that. boy. Yeah. Well, the, that's a different story. That's a different <laughs> magazine. But anyway. Well, speaking of bat boys, um, we've got a Canadian <laughs> writer that I got here. You know, this is uh, pretty amazing uh, that someone from Canada can write. But um, <laughs> so he's got three books out. And I believe they're all part. Yeah, they're all part of series. This is great. And it's called The Hammerhead. Now that. You know, I have to read a book like that. Hammerhead, Jed Mysteries. Um, so that's, you know, in the new book, Five Moves of Doom. Sounds like someone I know. So, Mr. A.J. <laughs> Devlin, thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Uh, well, so, A.J., what does that stand for, A.J.? All juiced up? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite. Uh, Alexander Jeremy. How did you get into writing, or what makes you go to something like writing and thinking you can make a career out of it? Uh, good question. Um, I would say, um, well, like I, like I did try to follow my dad's footsteps uh, as, a, as an athlete, as a basketball player, and um, I just didn't have uh, the stuff. Um, and uh, so I was really into, the other thing I was really into other than athletics growing up was um, entertainment, uh, books, uh, films. And so um, when I wasn't, you know, in the gym, I was uh, at the movie theaters or I had my nose, uh, you know, deep into, you know, usually crime fiction. And um, and then uh, both my uh, parents were educators. Um, so when I hung up sneakers after a year, freshman year, and I realized I just didn't have the chops, um, they both strongly encouraged me to get a degree in something that I loved. And the only thing I loved was creative writing um, and, and some filmmaking that I had done in high school. And um, that sort of led me to... Uh, film school in uh, Southern California. And um, then that led me to my uh, professor and mentor, uh, Leonard Schrader. And then that led me to, um, you know, working, trying to get established in screenwriting. And then uh, finally taking a, a stab at uh, crime fiction for try something different. But, you similar. Know, oh, but when you, so when you go to school, university and, and getting into creative writing on an educated level, um, does that change you? Like, how does that change you is what I should say in, in, in the books you write, write. Like, I think what I'm trying to get at is if now that you've been to college and you have that in your belt, so to speak, if you would have wrote one of these books before that, as compared to after that education, how do you think it's different? What's different about you? 
Oh, I don't think I could have written them before. Um, uh, I mean, certainly the, the tool, the toolkit, um, you know, and, and learning to how to structure a story was, uh, was pretty essential for me. Um, I always was drawn to sort of lean, mean cinematic storytelling, um, whether it be, uh, you know, film or, or crime fiction. And that's probably why I gravitated toward crime fiction. It's just, uh, I just love fast paced stories and page turners. Um, but, um, but yeah, I spent my time, I was in LA total about seven years and I spent my time down there trying to write what would sell. Um, and so I was writing, trying to come up with the new, you know, saw or the new uh, American pie or the new, you know, action movie or whatever, whatever was hot and whatever was selling. So I was always trying to fit a category and I never really, um, never really wrote something that was really something I truly wanted to write. Um, and, uh, it wasn't until I moved home and I was sort of reassessing and then I met my wife, um, and we got married and then, uh, we had children. Um, and then I remember my professor always saying, you know, you know, take a break one day and, and take a, you know, take a crack at a, a mystery novel. And, uh, cause you know, structurally they're very, they're very similar. And, um, and I was nervous and hesitant, but I, I started to, and then I was like, okay, well, I want, if I'm going to do this, I want to write a series character. And if I want to write a, a series character, um, you know, what, um, what would it be? And, um, and so I kind of circled around and, and I'd read about a lot of athlete detectives and, uh, and then I, I, I kind of put that with my childhood love of uh, professional wrestling. And that's what my series is about, is about a pro wrestler uh, PI. Um, but he's about 35 in the books. He's used to uh, be a big star in, you know, the wrestling world. And then he walked away right as his career was taking off. And there's, you know, there's some stuff there uh, in his past that, um, that is addressed and explored in, in the novels. And, um, and there was just a bit of, I was able to go somewhere a little bit deeper, but without sacrificing pacing, I, I hope, in the series. And, um, and, and so that's something I wasn't, I don't think I could have written in my 20s, uh, for sure. And um, it wasn't until I sort of got, uh, you know, more settled in life. And then, and then I think, I think, in terms of changing me, you know, becoming a parent and, and, um, and you know, and then, you know, watching my kids grow up and, and just, you know, changing my perspective on the importance of family and then you know sort of channeling that into the book i think uh i think there's a lot more heart there i suppose i would say that um that that maybe might not have been there when i was younger well, what was it like for you to uh transition from uh screenwriting to the prose novel did you did you find that was an easy transition or did you find it was more difficult uh it was it was fun and exciting and in some ways easy um in other ways it was difficult uh it, the easy parts i found or easier parts i found uh were dialogue um i, I always loved dialogue um and so screenplays to you know snappy dialogue in um you know crime fiction that worked for me uh um i i loved getting to spend more time with my characters uh particularly my my lead character um because you know in a screenplay you're you're spending 110, 120 pages with them, and it's pretty lean and Spartan uh, storytelling. Whereas, you know, when you, and I and I tell my books from first person, so getting to literally go into their head and write as them narrating, um, that was a real treat. Uh, I think probably the hardest thing for me was um, the setting. Um, and so when I when I wrote, so I had my story for my first book 
uh, Cobra Clutch and I had it, had it outlined and I started writing it. I had my plot points and my, you know, my inciting incidents and my midpoint twists and my low moments. And I had it all, everything I had learned and studied and I had it all, you know, structured out and I was very happy with it. Um, and then I was, I was extremely fortunate that, um, a fellow protege of, uh, my professor, uh, Len, um, her name was Teresa Schwegel and she, um, she actually won the uh, Edgar Award for uh, best first novel for Officer Down uh, years ago, years ago. And um, because we had a shared mentor, I reached out to her and, and I just said, "Hey," uh, I said, "Landon told me to take a crack at a, a mystery novel, and um, I was just wondering if you had any advice." And she's like, uh, she was so generous, and she offered to uh, read it. And she gave, she came back and she gave me some feedback. It was probably the best feedback I ever got. And I, I think had I not gotten, I wouldn't have been able to, to to make that transition. And she said, "It feels like." your story she's like i like your characters i like the humor i like the action i like the pacing she's like all this is working for me feels like your story could take place in any city in north america um you need to make it feel like it can only take take place in vancouver and vancouver was where i had set it and it was where i wanted to write it i wanted to showcase my hometown and i was only really comfortable writing a, a novel in a city in which i live so it was either going to be vancouver or it was going to be los angeles and you know, many, many have done that much better, uh, you know, in my opinion. And I, and I thought, you know, there was more opportunity and it was a better fit for me to sort of set it in Vancouver. And so that's what I did. So I, I basically went back and wrote the city of Vancouver as a more of a character in the story. And um, and then when that dovetailed with the history of professional wrestling and particularly Western Canadian professional wrestling, then everything sort of started coming together. I was going to ask if you did a city, if you wrote it like a character, but you kind of said that. <laughs> so when you write a series like this, is this kind of all mapped out in your brain? Do you, do you kind of know where you're going in all three books at the beginning? Do you kind of have this master plan, master outline, and you just kind of go through the details as it goes? Or is this something that happens after each book is done? Um. I'd say both. Um, earlier on, I definitely had a clear, pretty structured, pretty outlined, uh, you know, idea of what I wanted the first book to be in terms of uh, there's so much, uh, you know, establishing that's going on. You're establishing this, you know, PI and, and what makes him a little different and his home base and his, his you know, allies. And, um, and, you know, so you're kind of creating the sandbox and then, um, you know, and then you finish your story and you, you know, you take down the sandcastles and then you build new ones. Um, so, um, but, but yeah, like I always, the genesis and the idea for the series was always that as a pro, pro, ex pro wrestler turned private investigator in Vancouver, uh, he was sort of uniquely suited for, um, catching cases that maybe investigate fringe sports and, um, and, uh, you know, unusual subcultures. And so the first book, um, is, is sort of him confronting his past a bit and going back into, the world of independent uh, local wrestling. The second book, uh, he catches case, which takes him in the world of uh, women's uh, flat track roller derby. And then the third book is um, into um, uh, local um, underground sort of mixed martial arts. Um, but uh, like the third book originally I had as an idea, but I think I had it in my, in my mind for like book four, book five. But as I sort of went through, I was like, it just, it just, I, the, the more I've sort of, spent time with the series and the character, the more it's taken shape. And then I've, I've sort of been acting and reacting more instinctively. And I'm like, this doesn't feel, this feels too soon for this. This feels like I should bump this idea up. And so there's a lot more flexibility and, and, um, you know, uh, uh, 
moving things around uh, as opposed to when I got my start when I was pretty you know laser focused on on how I was going to establish the character. Well, I want to ask this as, as a lifelong martial artist. You know, I noticed you have you mentioned uh, your lifelong love for pro wrestling. Uh, you mentioned roller derby, uh, MMA fighting. Uh, there's, uh, I believe, there's yoga in your book as well. Do you? I guess, uh, are you drawing from any experience? Did you go do any of this, or is this mostly research or uh, imagination? How, how did you uh, tackle uh, that area? Um. Research, there was definitely uh, some research, but there was a lot of experience, too. Um, growing up, my dad, um, he would put me in wrestling camps at Simon Fraser University uh, out here in, uh, in Greater Vancouver every summer. And um, they were great. And so they were fun. And, you know, you learn, like, the fundamentals of, like, you know, single and double leg takedowns and whatnot mm -hmm. and, and holds and stuff. So um, it gave me an appreciation of... Um, of, of, of freestyle wrestling. And then some of my favorite wrestlers are the guys that are, um, you know, technically sound that, you know, really are you know, like, whether it be the, the showcase of professional wrestling or outside the ring, you know, you look at like the Brock Lesnar's or the Kurt Angles or, or, you know, guys like Brett, you know, Hitman Hart and Stu, Stu Hart and the dungeon and all those famous stories, mm. these technical wrestlers, um, that helped me a lot. Um, so that experience combined with, the research uh, definitely helped. Um, uh, and then roller derby was not something I had um, <laughs> heard of. I did not know much about it. And I was very fortunate. I was able to get out to some matches so that I did a, or a games. I was able to get out to those uh, pre COVID and, uh, and really check them out. And uh, man, I thought uh, <laughs> professional wrestlers had wild names and then you get to, uh, you get to women's roller derby and it, it is uh, unbelievable. And it's just so, badass and counterculture and um and, and and it's just so supercharged and 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 tough and gritty and fun and, and and there's just so much flair to it and uh and uh so i just i just loved it and i was like oh you know this is going to be fun to explore and then um and then with five moves of doom i had done in addition to um you know freestyle wrestling i i done a little judo uh you know in my youth and then some aikido in college um very my experience was very grappling based self-defense, um, yeah. not much striking, uh, on my end. Uh, so that's where I really threw in my research. Um, especially when I'm choreographing and writing fight scenes, um, I had, I wanted to make my protagonist a more, uh, effective striker. Um, but, um, but at his core, he's a, uh, he's a grappler and, um, and that his identity as a fighter and him sort of reconciling that is kind of one of the character arcs of, uh, of the third book. But Your characters, What's you? What's your own personal experience with your characters? Are you, are you someone that sees them, hears them, feels them, and all that sort of stuff? Or are you someone that is um, totally separate from, can just write from um, a plot point of view? They definitely, for me, have become sort of a part of me. And uh, in many ways, uh, the more I write them, the more familiar, the easier a lot of writing them uh, is. Um, I just so I seem to be going more on instinct um, now at this point, uh, a lot of the times with the characters, just, just knowing them so well. And, and then there's just these whole backstories and, you know, quirks and just, you know, personality traits that I maybe necessarily haven't had a chance to share yet. Um, but in my mind, they're, they're much more fully formed. Um, and, you know, and I like to think they're pretty fully formed in the books, but there's just a the depth there. Um, so, uh, so yeah, so I feel very connected 
um, you know, to my characters. Um, but also there's a certain degree of, of wish fulfillment there too, as well. Um, um, you know, I grew up in, uh, you know, the, the, the 80s and the 90s, right? So I loved movies like uh, Back to the Future and Die Hard and The Last Boy Scout. So for me, it was just all about pure escapist entertainment. And, and that's when I, when I finally said, I'm going to write something for me, that's what I gravitated toward. And that's what I try to channel uh, in the series. So, um, I mean, Hammerhead Jed, uh, he's definitely more of an emboldened uh, version of sort of who I wish to be um, or wish I could be or wish I could have been growing up. Um, and um, he has, and then he's got other characters in his life, including his Irish cousin, who sort of is a de facto sidekick. Who's uh, that guy's just uh, that guy's almost like pure id. He's just a wild man, and um, so he's uh, he's a uh, you know what would I do you know if I were a little more bold is maybe my protagonist, and what would I do if I just didn't give a, a flying hoot about anything might be the sidekick character. So it's fun to sort of explore and wonder and and. Um, and uh, and yeah, and just sort of see where that uh, that takes you. It's certainly an enjoyable process. Well, Hammerhead Jed, can, can you tell us how your character got his nickname, or is that something that we want to wait for for in the story? No, absolutely. I, I'm pretty clear about that right out the gate. Um, he uh, he got that nickname because uh, he would go he would walk to the ring with a two by four piece of wood of west of western red cedar. Um, <laughs> And uh, and then he, uh, he would get in the ring and have his match. And he was an old school, not old school, but he was a hostile wrestler, kind of like uh, Stone mm. Cold Steve Austin, The Rock, Triple H, those kind of guys right. that I watched. Um, and that was sort of his style. And then, uh, you know, uh, if he would win a match, part of his celebration thing, you know, Steve Austin would drink beers, like his two by four over his head, break it now. So real, real uh, high level stuff here. But, uh, but you know, it was, uh, it was a gimmick, right? And, and that's yeah, what I love yeah. so much about yeah. wrestling is, 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 are the gimmicks. But then uh, what I realized very quickly, especially when I got into my 20s, I started um, uh, realizing that the more interesting stories for me in professional wrestling were outside the ring. Um, and behind the scenes. And so then that, that's when it really took shape for me that you're going to have this, um, you know, balance between sort of the in-ring over, you know, theatrical over-the-top stuff and then the out-ring darker stuff. Um, but, yeah, but his, he, I mean, uh, I, I, he, I'd be remiss if I didn't say that he was certainly inspired by uh, a guy like Hacksaw Jim Duggan uh, who would mm. come to the ring uh, usually with a two-by-four as well, and uh, he'd have a fly, American flag around his neck and he'd, give the big oh and thumbs up and uh <laughs> and uh so he was a little uh uber patriotic uh which is not really where i wanted to go but i wanted to give him sort of that gritty sort of western canadian you know Stu Hart dungeon vibe uh, you know those guys that just yep. you know were grinders that uh you know that really earned earned their stripes and really deserved to be there and and uh you know and it's it's a tough life right and so yeah. um and, and then, and then it's also kind of, I guess, kind of a you know a little wordplay that in that you know hammerhead that he's hard headed and that you know he he catches a case and he he tends not to uh, tends not to let them go. So, so you're really trying to say that you want to be a big wrestler? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> uh, maybe once upon a time. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was into uh, I was into the that for sure, and and uh, you know I enjoyed weightlifting and stuff, and uh, you know all, it was football and all those sports but um but um but no i mean it was again wish fulfillment and uh you know escapism um but uh nobody to the best of my knowledge i hadn't really read a lot of, especially when i made the decision to try uh to write crime fiction um i really zeroed in on sort of the subgenre of um athlete detectives um 
And uh, so I read books about boxer detectives, uh, sports agent sleuths, um, surfer PIs, and um, and I enjoyed them all. And I learned things about surfing I didn't know, or you know, you know, uh, behind the scenes, you know, wheeling and dealing in, in the sports agent world. And um, and I just enjoyed the little twist or the little you know fresh take on you know, your, your gumshoe. And, uh, and so I was like, well, you know, I love pro, pro wrestling. Uh, nobody's, I think is the best of my knowledge has really created a pro wrestler detective before. And it was, I saw it as a chance to, um, to write uh, mystery comedies, to have a certain degree of humor, uh, in the series, um, which, uh, which was very exciting for me. And I think to be honest, to do professional wrestling justice, you can't just be gritty. You need to embrace sort of the, uh, the uh, the fun and the and the and the panache of the whole business, um, but while also not shying away from, you know, well, I mean, watch the Ric Flair Thirty for Thirty documentary, and you'll know what I mean. Uh, yeah. There's, uh, you know, it's it can be a tough life. So, gold dust. Well, listen. Yeah. Um, so when you're putting in um, comedy, and um, you know, uh, that's something I tend to do, and it can be satire sarcastic some people can even call me names <laughs> obnoxious and stuff but do you do you have to be careful on where and what you make fun of and how you do it i think it's always good to be um be aware i mean i you know i think one of the the for me one of the essential fundamental parts about escapist entertainment is that you're you're wanting to bring people into your story. You're wanting to offer a degree of whimsy and escapism to take people's minds off their problems. I mean, you think you look at something like Ted Lasso and sort of when it came along for us collectively uh, in pop culture, it was something that we needed and that people gravitated towards because it was just so refreshing and positive. And, um, and so I don't want to take any cheap shots. Um, so my protagonist is definitely Hammerhead Jet is definitely, you know, pretty moral, ethical guy um you know he, he he cares and he's sensitive and he doesn't um you know he shies away from it's not in him to be kind of cruel or mean but he he does i got he does have a bit of a mouth on him and he he'll uh he won't hesitate to, or shy away from wisecracking especially with some uh you know punks or uh, with uh, some you know roughnecks that he might um, encounter along the way but um but then there's also some supporting characters in the series that are um that are a little more uh, rough around the edges. Let's just put it that way. And, um, but again, uh, you know, it's that thing of like, I don't want to, you know, write a character that people find like offensive, but by the same token, you know, I can't forget like, you know, what this guy at beer league hockey said a couple weeks ago, cause it was a little outrageous or whatever. And it's just, and so I want to capture sort of like that authenticity of like, you know, this is how people, some people talk. And it's just, you know, if you're going to get into this world of, private investigation you're going to be helping out people and then you're going into these sometimes shady subcultures it just it felt uh like it was necessary in order for it to be authentic to sort of uh to to sort of try and you know capture that or at least uh represent that to a certain degree but yeah i definitely don't want it to like you know uh i, I just i'm cautious and guarded with my humor but i like to have fun with it as well well, since you include a good deal of humor in your novels, um, just like stand-up comedians, it's said that there needs to be, I, I guess, like a sense of uh, comedic timing. Do you feel there's a need for a flow or timing to, I guess, uh, bring about the humor with, within a prose novel? Yeah. I mean, I know at this point I've 
I've tried really hard to make it sort of signature, uh, signature part of the series. And um, I think one of the more challenging things uh, with the latest book um, taking place and, you know, gets the backdrop of, you know, street level mixed martial arts, uh, you know, it's definitely really gritty fisticuffs uh, world in which he has to go into. And then I wanted to explore, you know, the, that uh, here's this guy that's, he's a wrestler detective. He's sort of a big, you know, tough guy. He's used to getting by on his physicality and he's defined by it. And then I wanted to sort of, you know, strip that away from him a bit. And what if, you know, his usual advantages are no longer there. Um, so that um, was a little trickier in, in terms of trying to maintain, finding places to maintain that humor without shortchanging this sort of character arc and this bit of, uh, you know, self-reflection I wanted the character to go through. Um, so, so yeah, so, but you kind of, I, for me, I kind of find that I just sort of read the story and I just kind of get a feel and a vibe too. Like, hmm. okay, you know, I don't want, I'm, I'm getting a little, it's getting, things are getting a little intense here and like time to lighten the mood. And then, and then, but you know, whereas in the, the roller derby book, Rolling Thunder, which was, you know, book two in the series, uh, that's the most, the, the most colorful and sort of zany of, of, of the three. And, and that I sort of had the opposite problem where I was almost getting a little too, farcical and i had to dial it back and and, and you know remember okay well this is a mystery <laughs> at its core i can't just yeah. you know turn this into a you know an snl sketch and um so it's it's it's, it's always sort of a balancing act but i really enjoy it um and then i think i think it, it can brighten the story and i think it can when done right it balances the story and i think um for me uh you know it's the kind of stuff that i just love like i mean john mcclain's probably my favorite character of all time because right. uh yep. you know he's dealing with all this stuff and, you know, building with terrorists and this just perverse sense of humor comes out uh, as a coping mechanism. And, um, and that was just, uh, you know, that, that for me is like the gold standard. And so, uh, so that's fun to, uh, to try and emulate. Well, yeah, that's just like me. I even look yeah. like him. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. In 20 years from now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So it, does this lead you into, thinking about pc correctness and writing and 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 that sort of sensitivity sort of writing and stuff i know a lot of publishers are starting to have sensitivity readings and stuff like that where they review things beforehand are you uh, because you know this gets serious when you get into the uh, wrestling and and boxing and all those different worlds it tends to be a little bit more raw Right, it tends to be a little yeah. bit more name calling and and stuff like that. It's not so, let's say, PC as they say. So, do you are you consciously aware of it? Do you even think about it, or you just go ahead with it and it is what it is? I, I'm definitely aware of it, but uh, I don't want to do it a disservice either. And um, so, being super stringent, politically correct, might not necessarily fit or be an accurate representation of these, you know, subcultures that I'm taking my character into. Um, but by the same token, you know, like me, like myself, you know, I, he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. He doesn't want to be offensive. He doesn't want to be rude or callous, but you know, he's trying, you know, he's trying to do his job. And, um, but, but my publisher uh, is incredible because they're, um, they're really on top of all this stuff. And so I, I kind of have my own, comfortability scale and like okay but like there, there's a character there's a supporting character in two of the books two of the three books um and he's a rival private investigator real sleazy guy um and um the name melvin and he's uh he's just uh 
he's just, I mean, he, he works in a, at a, um, he has an office, uh, which used to be a Gothic art studio and he took it over for his P office and he's a disbarred criminal defense attorney. And, um, he never took down the murals of, uh, you know, um, lady vampires and, and, uh, girls in bikinis on, you know, with space guns on craters on the moon and stuff. And he just kind of, he sort of incorporates that as part of his, his, uh, business image. And then he's uh, right next to a famous uh, Vancouver gentleman's club called the number five orange. Um, and he's often over there having his dinner. And so hammerhead Jeb will have to go over there if he needs a favor or whatever. So, um, so there's no sugarcoating of it and, and he can be a little bit of a prickly character, but my detective is often just sort of annoyed by him or irritated by him or he, you know, he finds him, I think one line in the first book is like spending this time, this much time with Melvin made me feel like I was in a Porky's movie. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that's something that, um, I definitely want to, I don't want to shy away from it, but I don't want to, I don't want it to be gratuitous and I don't want it to be unnecessary. I want it to serve a purpose, but those, you know, you get into those worlds, like those are people, there are people that are like that. And, and so I want it to ring true. Um, the, the thing I found most amusing was because I'd written Cobra Clutch and at the time I was around the same age of, uh, um, Hammerhead Jed, he was sort of his mid thirties and I was writing the sequel and, um, the first three books, all three books take place during his first year as a, as a private investigator. Um, so he's aging slower than, than I am. And in the second book, he kind of starts ragging on millennials and, um, it, you know, it's just sort of like this running gag. And my uh, production marketing coordinator says, you realize that Hammerhead Jed himself is a millennial, right? And I said, <laughs> I said is he? Because I'm on the cusp and I'm technically not. So I was just um, you know, taking pot shots and she's like, yeah. And then my general manager was like, well, I'll just make him one of those guys that just kind of hates his own kind. And, uh, and so that, that's why he's aware that he's a millennial, but he doesn't have to like it. And, um, and I was like, okay, so I made that change. So little stuff like that, but that's where, um, but I, you know, I try and be as free and I, I try to be as free and as unencumbered as possible when I write the story. And then that's where the editing comes in. And I've just been blessed to work with such a great team at, at New West Press and, um, and they always make sure that, uh, you know, things are addressed. And if, if something I miss, I try to catch as much as possible, but something maybe goes too far or something doesn't go far enough, they'll, you know, encourage me. And, and, um, it, it's a pretty, it's pretty wonderful, uh, working relationship there. I remember watching roller derby as a kid. <laughs> That's how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> it was exciting. That was the seventies. That was a lot of fun. It used to come on after wrestling on Saturday afternoons. Yeah. Well, I watched Bugs Bunny, and then I went into roller roller derby. <laughs> that's uh, that's a good day of programming. <laughs> what else is there? You know, <laughs> Batman at night. You know, there's a show called Rock and Rollerblade, I think, or Rock and Roller Derby, or something like that. Back in the eighties, oh. oh. very short time, very obscure. Yeah, hmm. and there there was Rollerball or whatever that James Conn. Yeah. Well, yeah, the James Conn movie is pretty famous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that was all. Sort of. I wasn't allowed to watch that because I was too young and it was too violent, right? So, well, it sort of loses the essence of what roller derby is, uh, I think, or women's flat track roller derby, which is what's explored in the second book, is because there's so much female empowerment uh, that's associated with that sport. And I mean, the names they have each they call themselves, and they just that's like you know such a big part of it. There's a character in uh, in Rolling Thunder who's one of my favorites, and her uh, her roller derby name is Pippi Long Stomping. Um, because she she wails on uh, the other girls and she skates around with her uh, her uh, hair and pigtails or red hair or whatever and um, and yeah uh, just uh, there's another character named Amazombie 
who's a who's a <laughs> paints her face up like a like a un, like she's the undead and she's about six foot two on roller skates and um and I wish I could say I made these names up but I did not I just you know I googled and I just went through hundreds and hundreds of roller derby names and and there's just and there's so much wordplay and there's so much fun and and I used to think wrestling names were the were the pinnacle and the best um, but roller derby I have to I have to give the nod to roller derby in terms of having the most creative and uh, <laughs> and fun original names you know it's funny I guess it probably is more about woman empowerment than I realized because when I was just a little kid in the in the 70s for me when we watched it I was I just couldn't wait till the woman beat up people <laughs> right. That's that's all you know. You couldn't wait till someone whipped someone or did something really wild, and there was a fight. Not, I, I, I hate to say it, but that's sort of what you're thinking of as a ten year old kid, and you're watching it, right? You're thinking, yeah, For sure. You know, and you get your favorite, and it's like you know, you hope that they beat up the other one. You know, it's gonna, it's terrible. No wonder I'm sick. <laughs> no way I am. You know. Now, now, does each book stand on its own? Like you, you can pick up like you know, the Cobra Clutch, for instance, and read it in entirety, and you're not lost because of, you don't have the other two. Absolutely. I mean, Cobra Clutch is the debut. Um, uh, I, I, you know, myself as a fan of crime fiction, mystery mystery novels, I love to read um, books in order, um, but mine are specifically, I'm, I write them in a very specific way that you don't have to, um, especially, you know, with the, the, the gimmick, if you will, uh, themselves of, you know, the first book's independent wrestling, the second book's roller derby, the third book's, you know, street level mixed martial arts. Um, you know, there might be somebody that sparks to a certain sport or subculture that, um, you know, that that's the one they want to start with. And, and then maybe they, you know, find the character enjoyable. Maybe they return and pick up the other one. So they absolutely can be read out of order. Um, but, um, but they also, there are sort of Easter eggs and a bit more, you know, a bit connective tissue, a, a little bit of connective tissue that you might miss um, if you read them out of order, but, you know, teach their own. I, I, I'm just trying to provide, um, you know, fun, fast-paced uh, escapist entertainment and uh, with a little uh, a bit of an athletic theme twist. Hmm. Is, there, is there kind of a, a subtext? Is there something you want people to get out of it other than the entertainment value? Yes, yeah. I mean, because um, definitely, because, um, like, not to sound like I'm beating a drum, but the reason that uh, Die Hard resonate with me so strongly is is uh, because it's not just about a dude blowing away terrorists and, you know, killing bad guys. Like, my favorite, people ask me, oh, what's your favorite movie or favorite moment in Die Hard? And um, it's like when he's, it's like when he walks across the glass, right? It's like when he shoots the guys in the knees. I'm like, no, it's when he's in the bathroom and he's pulling the glass out of his feet mm. and he's talking on the CB radio to the, to the cop on the outside and he's like, I need you to give a message to my wife. And, and he's like, yeah, I know. Tell your lover. And he's like, no, he's like, she's heard me say, I love you a thousand times. Tell her I'm sorry. Say John says he's sorry. And I remember that moment so vividly because it was like, here's this guy who's going through all this like superhuman level action hero stuff. But you know, it was such a grounding real moment of, and it was a heartfelt moment and it just gave that character this depth. And, and I was, it allowed me as a viewer to invest in him deeper than I had in, you know, maybe like, you know, a Stallone or a Schwarzenegger movie that came out a few years before. And that's, I think, essentially why John McClane, in a lot of ways, sort of redefined the role of the action hero. Um, and so I tried to, again, emulate that with my work. I wanted to make Hammerhead Jed, um, you know, I wanted there to be an everyman quality to him. Um, you know, I wanted him to be relatable. I wanted him to be 
a guy that you could hang out with. I wanted him to be a guy that genuinely cared and, um, you know, and then he cares about the people in his life and the people he works with. And he cares about his clients, you know. I mean, in the first book, his former tag team partner, he hasn't seen him in years and he still wrestles locally um, with a pet snake. And uh, and the, the kickoff of the story is the snake's um, kidnapped and uh, held for ransom. And uh, he files a police report, but, you know, nobody's really taking it seriously. And he goes to Hammerhead Jed, who knows how much this guy loves his snake he loves it more than you know he loves most people and you know he his heart breaks for the guy and he, he reluctantly agrees like okay you know I'll, I'll take a look i'll see what i can do his dad is a retired police officer banker police officer turned pi and um so he has some you know resources and so he, he starts looking into uh snake napping uh, gone awry <laughs> so uh so he has i try i definitely try to provide him with a you know a big uh, having a big heart um, and, and I hope that uh, readers find that uh, relatable or enjoyable and um, make them, make, it makes them a sympathetic lead. Mm. You know, it's awful what happened to Bruce Willis in the last while with his yeah. brain and, and all those bad movies they were putting him in. Mm-hmm. That's just terrible. It is very sad. <clears throat> yeah. I, I won't even watch a lot of them now. They're They're always on the streaming services, you know, but, you know, it's just why even bother? Yeah. yeah, yeah, it was yeah. pretty. Yeah, it was it was pretty shock. It was pretty shocking too because I was unfamiliar with the condition, so I was very very sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, but I mean, he just he just had a charisma about him, and um, and, and not just as you know in Die Hard, but like the Last Boy Scout, and uh, for me, that's the pinnacle of Shane Black movies. And um, he's just so he's just so good and so funny, and uh, you just can't take your eyes off him. And uh, and uh he's such a curmudgeon but he's just so lovable and um and so so that's the real trick you know i think is is, is creating a character that's sort of you know complex and nuanced and and you know he's got his own issues and his own things going on but there's there's some degree of relatability there there's something that hopefully gets the reader or the audience to invest in this guy maybe uh, this person a bit more than they might uh you know usually um because i know that's exactly the kind of stuff i gravitated toward well, but, you know, as the writer, uh, a lot of you is going into that character of yours, your hammerhead. And that, sure. do, do you, so you must kind of, kind of, in a sense, a lot of things that he goes through from his point of view and his feelings and his reactions are kind of yours in a sense and, and some of your own vulnerability. So that kind of is a little bit um, exposing in a sense. Does that sort of ever... Do you ever think about that or worry about that or worry about people uh, seeing you in the character? Um, I don't, I don't worry about it. Um, I definitely do it. Um, I think people that know me in my personal life will might read and see things in the character more than someone who just picks up the book. Um, So, but yeah, I I mean, I feel like I can't do my best work if I'm not channeling, uh, like you said, myself into uh, you know, these characters, I mean, all the characters, but especially him, he's the anchor point. He's the focal point of, of the series. And, um, and, um, and that's, that's definitely uh, by design. And I don't uh, plan on, on, and on stopping that at all. Um, but that's, you know, it's, it's also very cathartic uh, for me to, to, you know, explore these things and, that are on my mind or things that I'm feeling or whatever, and sort of channel it into this, this character and then hopefully do it in a way that doesn't slow down the pacing and uh, doesn't hinder, um, you know, action and entertainment and twists and turns and all the, 
all the you know boxes you want to check for uh for some uh you know fun crime fiction so your secondary characters let's talk about those so where do they come from i know they're from people you know and people you've worked with or been with and stuff like that so let's start naming names and telling us why <laughs> why they're there and what is it that you like you know i i remember talking to aj horn and i remember him saying that anybody who, who was rude to him or butts him in a line or does something he takes that character and kills them in the books and does something bad to them so what's your what's your use of secondary characters well sometimes it's it's just sort of packaging them or, or trying to find that little quirk or that little element that makes them uh you know a little bit different um there there's a character in rolling thunder uh, book two and then in five was a doom book three uh who has apparently starting to become a bit popular. His name's Sykes, and he's a uh, he's a bookmaker. Um, but uh, I tried to make him a little different, and uh, he's he's sort of an upscale gentleman, and he has uh, he has sort of a peculiar quirks in that he has these sort of side business ventures that he's very vested in. They usually revolve around animals, um, and so in the first one uh, in Rolling Thunder, he's got a side. He's training a championship uh, dachshund uh, a wiener dog for the. Uh, annual Hastings race course, wiener dog races, which is a real thing in Vancouver in the spring. And there's actually some serious prize money. And, um, and, uh, and then, and then he returns and five moves to doom and he's now, uh, got into uh, goat yoga, which if you're not familiar, people actually pay money to do yoga with goats. It's supposed to enhance the <laughs> serenity of the experience. But, uh, I watched a few videos of it on, uh, YouTube and, you know, there's there's a lot of pooping that goes on sometimes on <laughs> when the goats are on the back of the back of the you're in the downward dog and you're getting pooped on. So I, I don't really see how that's a Zen experience, but at least they're on. Um, but but it was fun to just do something kind of you know sports themed and quirky, but then combine it with this guy that was sort of upscale and elegant. And that was based on a, a basketball coach I had met um, when um, I had gone on a basketball trip to Belgium, uh, I think in high school and. Um, he was a Belgian uh, basketball coach, and he was uh, he was just a very refined uh, gentleman. And he had us into his house, and he had a, like a beautiful library, and he poured himself like a sherry or a scotch, and he sat down, he put on some classical music, and I was just like, I was like, this guy's like really polished. You know, I'm, we're just there in like workout gear and sweats, and 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 but he wasn't highfalutin. He wasn't talking down to us. He was just a very elegant man with uh, you know uh, great taste and and a very cultured individual and uh and so i just i, I do like a good old-fashioned mashup and um and then i guess i just find it kind of humorous to that a guy that could you know get invested in wiener dog racing and goat yoga could be so uh so elegant refined <laughs> goat yoga. well listen speaking of uh of the characters as al had asked you um have any of your characters taken on a life of their own and maybe done something to surprise you or pull the plot in a different direction? Or, or do you feel you're just very much in control of the, uh, of the story? It's a great question. And uh, yes, uh, not, not all the time, but there are definitely some significant moments where that happens and it almost catches me off guard. Mm. Um, and, Often, I guess I'm just looking at things through, I mean, primarily I'm looking at things through Hammerhead Jed's point of view. Um, but, um, you know, he has a, his wild man cousin sidekick uh, can get up to some stuff. And he's, uh, 
he's a former IRA man. And, um, and so he's a lethal, he's a lethal dude. Um, but he's also a bit of a hot headed, uh, uh, piss tank. And, uh, he loves the uh, pints, the black stuff and, and a good old fashioned scrap. Um, and, uh, so sometimes he can get a little, he can go a little far, push the envelope. And then, uh, but even hammerhead, uh, Jed's dad, uh, who's, uh, the retired police officer and now PI himself, he, um, he's got a degree of uh, world world wariness having been on the job uh, for so long. And, and there's some things that he does in, in the books that might be a bit surprising to uh, some people or not. I don't know. I guess I suppose it depends on the reader. Um, I know that I was very fortunate and that my, um, my neighbor and uh, friend, uh, Joel Johnson, he's uh, was a 30 year man with the Vancouver police department. He's also like a master martial artist and use of force expert. And he has a consulting firm and he flies all around uh, North America training police forces on, on uh, taking down, you know, safely and efficiently, uh, you know, uh, de-escalating situations and stuff. And um, he's devised in all the books. He actually blurbed uh, the most recent one. And, um, and he's just like, Oh yeah. He's like, that's what I do. And I was like, okay, well that, <laughs> that feels good that, uh, you know, cause I mean, it might be pushing the boundaries of what technically might be legal, even though he's not an, no longer an officer of the law, the character of Hammerhead Jed's dad, but, um, but knowing, but hearing it, hearing that kind of feedback from Joel, who is an, you know, also an accomplished writer in his own right, um, and he's written a lot of police journals and, and an avid fan of uh, um, crime fiction. Um, and uh, we share authors that we're fans of, like Michael Connelly and, and uh, you know, the Harry Bosch series. And um, so that that's that's a good feeling when you know that uh, you know the you're you're getting it right. And um, and that's that's probably been the most rewarding thing for me with all these books is that. If I didn't, I've gotten to know independent wrestlers who have said, you nailed it. I've gotten to know roller derby players who have emailed me and said, I really appreciate the attention to detail that you made. Um, you know, cause like roller derby, when you're in roller derby, you don't, um, they don't say, well, when I'm in roller derby, they just call it derby. That's mm -hmm. just like shorthand lingo. And, and, and it seems like a tiny little thing, but someone in that world, it's, it, I think it shows that a lot of this guy, you know, did his research and, right. and then, um, and then, uh, I was able to, uh, get some, um, mixed martial arts uh, guys to uh, um, consult and advise on, on the third one as well. So I think, I think that's the way I see it is if someone's going to be generous enough to come on a, you know, a, a ride into my imagination, the least I can do is try and get the details right. And then also show respect to these, you know, maybe fringe sports and it might not be your cup of tea, but it doesn't mean that to the people that are in them, it's not everything to them. Um, and so, and I, I guess as a writer, or, you know, for so long, an aspiring writer, I, I respect and I can relate to that passion for a craft that basically, in a lot of ways, has no guarantee of ever having a payoff. Mm -hmm. You just do it because it's in your bones and nothing's going to stop you from doing it because you love it so much. Oh, you're, you're not rich now? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Oh, you're just, it's because you spend too much money on stuff, you know, calm down. Um, where, so where do people find you? Where, do, where, do, where does people... Go out and they're looking for Mr. AJ, Mr. Alexandra Devlin, and they want to find him. Do you have like a website? Do you have, do you do social media with people? Uh, Tinder, Grinder, you know, <laughs> phone number? I, uh, I, I, I do. Um, AJDevlin.com is my website. Uh, that's sort of my uh, go to hub. Um, although I'm most active right now on uh, social media because I'm uh, on a, a book tour promoting, um, five moves of doom. And, um, so I'm on, uh, 
uh, Twitter, uh, Facebook page, Instagram, and now TikTok, which I really, I don't know. I still haven't figured out TikTok, but my, um, <laughs> my marketing coordinator, uh, she's, she's a brilliant uh, young lady, but she, I mean, she must be 30 or something. And she's like, get on there, get on there. There's entire sections of uh, Barnes and Noble now where you walk in, it says, as seen on TikTok. And I'm like, really? And so anyways, I created it, but it's all the same handle uh, at AJ Devlin author. So it has that same handle across all four platforms um, with, I don't know, who knows, maybe more to come, but um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. And what are you going to do next? Like what, what's coming? Are you doing, is there a book for to this series after this, or are you going to something different? Yes. Um, I'm, I've, I've referred to it as a trilogy a few times. Um, and then uh, some people have said, uh, Oh, are you done? Are you done? And, Trilogy doesn't mean, uh, you know, a series is over as far as I view it. Um, it, this, the, you know, these three books encapsulate and tell, you know, a three, a bigger three part story of his first year, Hammerhead Jet's first year as a private investigator. Um, and so there's a book four, but there's going to be a bit of a time jump and, um, he's in a different place and, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. It's an exciting place to, to take him. I think. I like to think that I leave this, the third book uh, with a certain degree of closure, but also with um, with doors open for future stories. Um, and because there is that degree of closure, uh, it felt like a time to maybe reflect and you know consider uh, maybe you know ideas for you know spinoffs or standalones or different projects or whatever. Yeah. Or just because I've just been so down the rabbit hole, focused on getting these three books out as fast as possible. Um, so, uh, so yeah, but no, but I mean, he's, is the be, is the be, most fun I've ever had. He's the best character I think I've ever written. Um, I got lots of ideas and places I want to take him. So, um, he, he will, he is and will remain a top priority for me for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, you can have him transition into a female in the next one. <laughs> next race. Or is he going to come out hey, of the closet? Have to. <laughs> uh, you know what? Anything's possible. Uh, yeah, we'll have to see. Uh, I just, I, as long as I get the details right, that's the thing. I, I always want to show respect to the people in these, you know, if I'm going into some, you know, sort of world or some kind of, you know, backdrop that's not, um, you know, your usual fare, I want to make sure that people in that world feel like it's being properly represented or that I'm at least making an effort to try and get the details right because, um, well, you yeah. know, I, I think people appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, you can write from your own experience in, in a lot of things, and sometimes you can't, you know. It's just, well, anyway, uh, it's been a joy. It's been a pleasure. Uh, and here we go. I guess we're on, and we'll have everything up on our website as well. And uh, thank you for being on the show. We've got Mr. A.J. Devlin here, and he's been talking about his five moves of doom. And, of course, it's a Hammerhead Jed series, and it's book three. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, AJ. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show is over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com.
Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.